0: All right, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Um, I hope you enjoyed that video as much as I did. And I enjoyed it so much that I'm going to go down to Vancouver where my dad lives, and I think we're going to go cut the grass and throw it on each other and have some fun. But so anyway, just a quick story about Father's Day and about my dad. What I loved about the video is it just made you laugh because they're just laughing the whole time. But one of the stories, I wasn't even there to witness this, but I've never seen my mom and my sisters laugh so hard telling a story about my dad, and it was a story—we go to the coast pretty much every summer down in Oregon, and the uh, story that my mom just loves to tell is when my dad tried to do skimboarding, and I don't know if you know what that is, but you throw this, like, piece of wood, and you just throw it across once the wave goes out on this thin thing of water, and then you jump on it, and you kind of just slide. It's almost like skateboarding. and so. My dad is like, he found one at a garage sale, and he's like, oh, I should, I should buy this. And so he, so he takes it to the coast, and so he's, he's like watching all these like really younger teenagers. My dad's not a teenager, but he's watching all these people throw it. They're like super good, and so my dad ch- decides to join along. And so my mom and my sister are watching him from their like our beach fort. And so they're just like watching, and they're kind of like, so he's like throws it trying to get the feel for it. And so then finally, he like throws it, and like I said, I'm not there, but I can totally see it in my mind, but he throws it, and then he jumps on it, and literally, within a split second, does one huge face plant, like on his face, in the sand, and so you, my, my mom and my sister just, when they tell the story, they just start cracking up, laughing, and so that's what I love about Father's Day, it's just that we get to laugh at our dads, and just have fun, because dad's like, you can't laugh at your mom, but you can laugh at your dad. You know, isn't that the truth? And so I just, like, that's just, that epitomizes Father's Day for me, is that I can laugh at my dad, but, you know, I probably shouldn't laugh at my mom. So we're continuing on the series called The Thessalonians. And so as you can see on your handout, um, I, I didn't really bring any fill-ins, but I have points, and so you can write the points on there. And then just a little side note, if you want to know what it's like to be me on days that I speak. Like, there's just certain things that can set me off into, like, a heated panic of nervousness and cold sweat. So I, I grab this. Um, Brian's like, what are you doing? And so I, I just like to see what everybody gets. And so I read the verses at the top, 1 Thessalonians 3, 13 through four twelve, And then it says Second Thessalonians five twelve through 24. And so I'm like, well, I did it on First Thessalonians 5, 12. 24. And so I've gotten into this like heated panic. I was like, I'm like, I totally did the wrong verses. I'm like, it fit for the topic I was speaking on. But like, how am I going to like do this? Should I like read the Bible and just try and come up with something in like the five minutes I have before I go to speak? And so this literally just happened like 10 minutes ago. So I'm like scrambling. And so then I'm like, what does it even say in 2 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 24? And so I was like, I was just like nervous. I'm like freaking out. Well, open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 5, and you'll find that it doesn't exist. And so welcome to my Sunday morning. I was nervous. So it's supposed to be 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 24. I prepared the right thing, so we're all good. So anyway, welcome. This week when I was preparing for to what I was going to be speaking on today, I kind of had this epiphany I kind of want to explain it to you because I think it will help really understand what Paul was going through when he started this church in Thessalonica. I get, I get all those words mixed up. But so if you think about it, Paul, you know, he, he got to know Jesus. He didn't even meet Jesus personally, but he had an experience on the Roman road. And he, like, just knew that he had experienced Jesus And so before that, he was murdering Christians, and so when he finally decided to give his life to Christ, to give his life to Jesus, you can tell it was an awkward moment for him and for all the other Christian leaders in that time. And so uh, in that moment, you have to wonder, like, what was Paul going through? And so years later, when he's starting these churches and going on, all the Christians have kind of accepted now, even though he killed their friends, brothers, and sisters— before that time. And so what I, I kind of had this epiphany this week, is that like, I'm thinking about like what Dad's getting ready to go do with his family, going to Indonesia. And he's going to go there, and he's basically going to plan churches. Like, a, I think he's doing a few of them or something. And it's going to be like a cool experience for him and his family. Well, I imagine that when he's doing that, he's, you know, he's going to tell stories from the Bible about Jesus. He's going to use the Gospels, because those are the specific stories about Jesus. You know, he might use some other stories, some other verses from the rest of the New Testament, maybe some Romans verses, maybe 1 Corinthians. I don't know. I don't know what his plan is, how he plans on doing that. But in any experience that I have, when I think about bringing p- people who don't know Jesus to Jesus, I like always, I'm obviously going to talk about the Bible. I'm obviously going to send them to the book of John, because that's my favorite Gospel, and I, I think p- other people should read it. But then I, I thought about well, Paul in this time in the first century, like two almost two thousand years ago, what did he have? What did he do to bring new people who didn't know Jesus into a knowing relationship with Jesus? He didn't have the Bible. If you do or don't know, the book that we're talking about, first and second Thessalonians, first Thessalonians is like the first book that was written in the New Testament. Even though it's not in the order, it's the first book that was written. So Paul didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have all the stories of Jesus and the Gospels written out. He didn't have his own letters that he wrote. He didn't have his Romans book already. And so what did he do? He just told stories about Jesus. He told his own experience of Jesus. I'm sure he told stories that he knew from other people about their experiences with Jesus. But he had—all he had was the Old Testament, and he had this new, awesome Savior in Jesus, and he's just telling people stories about him. And so, so many times, like, if I'm just being honest, I think I take the Bible for granted. I, I read the stories so often. I know all the miracles that Jesus did. But do I really, in my heart, like, see those as stories that can change people's lives? like, I really feel like Jesus, when he came into my life, he changed my life forever. And so that's my story whenever I'm talking to people about Jesus. So my encouragement to you, and my challenge for you, is that you too, if you've come to know Jesus, you too have a story that is really can be effective in leading other people to know Jesus. And I don't mean to say this is that we should just, you know, go off our own stories. Because if we did that, there probably people would start making stuff up about Jesus. Well, Jesus did this for me, and Jesus did that for me. No, it all comes back to Scripture. But just put it this way. There's people who hate what the Bible says. There's there's verses that they just hate. They can't stand some of the things they say. Because they don't know the context. They don't know the love that is behind it. They just know that someone once told them a verse— and it just really pierced them in the wrong way, and they just had a distaste for the Bible. They've had a distaste for things that God is involved with ever since. But you have the opportunity with your story to tell people about Jesus that can disarm that, because if someone finds out that you're actually like a nice person, like I, if you work with someone who doesn't know Jesus, and you're just interacting with them, and after a while they say, hey, you know, there's just something a little bit different about you. But they might not know that you know Jesus, that you go to church or whatever it is. And so all of a sudden, when they finally find out that you know Jesus, that you have an experience or relationship with him, how disarming is that to actually come in and show them the love of Scripture, to show them the love of the Bible? And later on, we're talking about Paul, but later on he writes in Second Timothy 3, 16-17, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, every good works are like bringing people to know more and more about Jesus. That's what Paul was doing. That's what Paul was doing. He was using what Scripture he had in the Old Testament, plus the stories of all these different people. Like, I would just love to know what Paul what stories he told cuz i'm sure not all of them are written in the bible i mean we, we hear that jesus did more and more that like you couldn't even fill a huge library the size of the world because of all the things jesus did wouldn't it be awesome to like just know what paul used when he was bringing people to jesus when he was telling them that there's a new savior there's a new way of doing life I don't know. I just, so this week, when I was writing this stuff that we're talking about, I'm just like, what was the circumstance that Paul was doing? What was the circumstance for this new church? Because as Stad mentioned last week, Paul went to this city of Thessalonica. It's in an area known as Macedonia. And it's a, he started a young church. He went to the synagogues where people just knew the Old Testament, just believed. That they're still waiting for a Savior, and he convinced some of them that Jesus is the true Savior. But then it also says that people in the area, also just known as Greeks or uh, Gentiles, people who didn't, weren't Jewish but didn't know Jesus, and so they come and they just start this new church. It's exciting when you think about it and you put it in our context for Open Life, is we just came, Thad just came to Bonnie Lake and started a new church. And people came, you guys are here now. And so we're excited to do this with you. But we're a young church. They're a young church. So the similarities, the parallels are so awesome to read. And so as we do this and as we go on in this series for the next few weeks, just think about us as a young church and think about them as a young church and the different things that are talked about. It's cool to see that Paul is so excited about his people in Thessalonica that it's almost like the two books are like a gush fest about how awesome this young church is. There's a few things that we're going to be talking about today that he had to bring correction to. But it's cool to see Paul's just pride in who the little church, this young church, was becoming. And the people, how they were growing and and just loving each other in an awesome way. And so my challenge to you over the next few weeks, we have this thing called the city. And it's an online community that we have. If You probably all have been logged in, but if you haven't, there's people we can explain it to you in the back. But what we would love for you to do is we want this to be an engagement um, on the city. And we want, my challenge to you, is let's write our stories about how we met Jesus. Because maybe you're a little timid, maybe you're a little scared about sharing with someone at work, or maybe a, a friend who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't go to church. And maybe you would like to have that something inside you, the, to the strength to be able to do that? Well, one of the ways you can do is tell people who actually like Jesus about your story of Jesus, because when we do that, it encourages me. Like, if I hear how you came to know Jesus, or you came to know Jesus, that encourages me, because I love Jesus, and I like to see how the Jesus I love affected you in the way that you love him now. And so it's cool. Like, there's no—it's like a disarming thing. It's like, uh, we're not going to judge you, because— you love Jesus. And so there's no judgment because we're talking about how we love Jesus. So I'd encourage you to write like a paragraph, maybe write two paragraphs, write a long essay if you want. But let's encourage each other with how our Jesus, our Jesus story is. And so the point, the first one I had is know your Jesus story. Like what, how did you come to know Christ? How did you come to know Jesus? And could we share that with one another? And maybe you don't want to do it on the city. Maybe you just like to tell someone. But I'd encourage you to do it on the city because there are some people who could like read it and then uh, they, you don't know and they would be encouraged. So you're encouraging people that you don't even know need encouragement. But so let's move on. We're kind of behind schedule now, but I just want you guys to see that epiphany in my mind and how I've been reading Thessalonians as we've been going through this. But basically we're just simply talking today about living to please God. And we talked about last week how Paul Silas and Timothy started this young church. They, they got ran out of town because of things that they were saying. And so uh, Paul, as they uh, left to another city, sent Timothy back to kind of see how the church is doing. Well, Timothy goes back to Paul and says, you know, actually, things are going pretty good. But he did bring up a few things. Uh, things that, in this letter that Paul writes, things that he needed to correct. And so those are kind of the things that we're going to be talking about today. And so today's first point is that Paul is all about community. Paul is just all about the community of the church and the community of the believers that were in Thessalonica. And as we jump into talking about what he's saying to them, it's important to know that the majority of his focus is on the inward relationships within the church. He might hit a little bit about reaching other people outside of the church— but a lot of it is predominantly about what's going on inside of the church and the relationships that are in in there. You see, Paul wants the peace of Christ to resonate throughout all these new believers. Current conditions for the church in that time were a little bit scary because um, the Roman culture was really against the Christian culture because for Romans, it was all about Caesar. It was all about the empire. It's all about worshiping that as God. And so if someone says, well, I believe Jesus is God and King, well, that goes against Caesar. And so that would bring persecution on the church. And so, Paul, what Paul is saying in the, the parts that we're going to read today is that, you know, you guys are doing some things that might be making you guys a little ununified, that might actually be taking away from the strength that you guys have as a group, so that when you are going to be persecuted, when you are going to have attacks from the outside, That you can be strong. But if you're hurting yourself from the inside, you're eventually going to fall. So let's start off 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13. It says this, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. You see, Paul wants the love of the church to grow. As we will read, the church is doing a pretty good job of following the things that Paul, Silas, and Timothy told them in the first part. But Paul is just telling them that, why don't you let that grow to even more levels, to even a greater uh, level down the road? In relating this to open life, we have to realize that it's important for us in this room right here to love one another. So that means like celebrating when we get to hear an awesome story about how you met Jesus, or an awesome thing that maybe happened at work, that's why you tell people about what's going on, so we can celebrate you. That's why when something wrong happens in your life, when maybe you've been wrong, or maybe you have a loved one who passed away, that we can mourn with you. That's all a part of love. And we do this by celebrating with one another in our stories. Love is shown when we choose to be willing to live life together in an authentic way. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul adds just a quick note to say that our love should grow from inside of us to also everyone else outside of the church. But when our love is strong for each other, we're able to increase our love more for other people who may not know what happens inside of the church. And so Paul, in this moment that Paul's speaking of, he's transitioning into some points of instruction. And so he starts off with the verses we just read about saying, you guys are doing great. Why don't you do a little bit more? And so now I'm going to go into a little bit of instruction for things that you can work on. So he starts off 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 2. He says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And so when you think of the Thessalonian church, about it being a young church, you kind of have to be amazed. They're a young group of people who just had a limited time with Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but yet Paul says plainly, he says that you are doing a great job of this, but why don't you try doing it more and more? And so I don't know if you're like me, but have you ever been working and then you feel like you just accomplished something or you did something great at work and then your boss comes up behind you and he says, you know, great job, but why don't you do this now too? Why don't you just add this to your plate? Or like in in the home, you know, I've washed the dishes, I've mopped the floor, I've vacuumed the living room, and then Danny comes in and you want me to do something else? Well, that's not what Paul's talking about here. It's more of like a positive thing of like adding something to do it. And so although we should do more and more at home, we should do more and more at work. This is just something that Paul's saying is like, you guys are doing such a great job, but when you're talking about love, there's like an infinite amount of love that Jesus has. And so just let that love grow more and more. So don't look at it in the negative sense as like Paul's saying, we'll do more and more. But look at it in the sense that is Paul saying, just let it grow. Let the God who we know, let Jesus, who is infinitely good, just grow more and more inside of your heart. But there's a few things that the church needed to work on. So let's read in First Thessalonians 4, 3-8. It is, good, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in pa- passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and in that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who, dr- who rejects this instruction does not reject the human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So the next point is God looks out for all. If you read that section, Paul's... Um, talking about sexual immorality. He's talking about people who are in the church who may have been sleeping with other people. And so anytime you talk about sex in the church, it's going to be controversial because people like to just jump to conclusions about what the church believes. And it's easy to jump to traditional values or maybe uh, agendas that have have gotten mixed up with political actions as well. And so when you talk about sexual immorality, then people jumped, well, obviously you're talking about gay marriage. Obviously you're talking about abortion. Obviously you're talking about teen pregnancy. Obviously you're talking about this, that, and the other thing. But if you look at the context of what Paul was going through, and you read the verses again, you realize that it's not the, so much of the piling on hate that so many times get people associate when the church talks about sexual immorality, but it's talking about the community. All Paul is doing is looking out for everyone to create those strong relationships with inside the church to strengthen the church, to strengthen the community. But so what does God actually say about marriage? What does he say about sexual immorality? Well, we first hear about it in Genesis 2:18 and verse 24 as well. The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then verse 24 that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. For Greek Jews, for the Jews that were in the synagogue, they, that may have been persuaded to follow Christ from Paul, um, they would have known the seventh commandment, which is do not commit adultery. And so it's pretty straightforward. Don't cheat on your husbands, don't cheat on your wives. That's, that was kind of like the rule of thought for Jews at that time. But for the group of Greeks who were not Jews, who didn't have that Old Testament background of being taught like the Ten Commandments, being taught not to commit adultery, the Greek context would tell you that promiscuity and sexual relationship is nothing wrong, is nothing new, nothing to worry about. And so for men, it would be encouraged that it wouldn't be no big deal to cheat on your wives, to cheat on your spouse, to have sex before marriage. Like there's no sense of like wrongdoing in that. Um, Unless you're a woman in which monogamy was encouraged, actually monogamy was a rule because the husbands had to know that the children that their wives bore were actually their legitimate children. And so you have a messed up ethical system that the men are off, you know, sleeping around. The women can't because the men need to know that the kids that the wives are having are actually their children for rights and for whatever else. And so you get this mixed-up sense of what the Greeks were going through. And so now, depending on how the Jews interpreted the scriptures, so you have two groups. You have the Jews who know about not committing adultery. You have the Greeks who don't know anything about that. And then Paul says, I brought you teaching. And so you have to imagine that the teaching that Paul's bringing is the teachings of Jesus. And so Jesus goes and takes it a step further in Matthew in verse um, 27 of chapter 5, this is what Jesus says about adultery. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so that most likely is what Paul is teaching in the new church. And so for both groups of people, whether you're a Jew who's grown up with the Old Testament, or whether you're a Greek and you don't know anything about it, what Paul is saying is that it's your heart that needs strengthening in this. That even if you don't commit the acts of adultery physically, but if you commit them in your heart, then you've actually sinned in adultery. That you've actually committed sexual immorality. And so from there, you put everyone in one group. We're all on the same level. And so Paul is pretty clear and concise on the issue. He says avoid sexual immorality. He says avoid anything regarding sex that is outside of God's created intention for sex, which is between one man and one woman. And so it's most important to know that Paul's reason for hitting on this is not about condemning people. It's not about hate. It's not about just throwing people into a group and casting them out of the church. It's about love for the church and love for the relationships that are in the church. And he's saying, why don't you work to have strong relationships as brothers and sisters And let God bring the love in, whether it's romantically, let that happen in the right way between brothers and sisters. Let those strong marriages begin to grow rather than having the men going off and cheating on their wives. Because it's all about the community, it's all about the strength of the community and the love that needs to be expressed in that community. Paul's desire is for relationships within the church that are holy and honorable. For marriages, this means treating your spouse with honor in the way you conduct your relationship. Are you faithful to your wife and husband? Do you respect them? Do you love them? Do you protect against other friendships and relationships that you may have, that you know is drawing your attention from your spouse? Paul later writes in another letter, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the household, uh, is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing With water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So Paul takes this very seriously. And in that teaching to the Thessalonians, he's, he's saying that it's about your heart. And in this verse we just read in Ephesians, it just goes on, and it's the same heart of the verse. It's saying that you are to love your spouse, whether you're husband or a wife. You love your spouse the way Christ loves the church. And if you need to know what that is, Christ loves the church a lot. He loves us a lot. And so husbands, you need to love your wives a lot. Wives, you need to love your husbands a lot. And you don't do that by letting other relationships in and taking away the attention that you have for your spouse. You don't do that by going on the internet and letting your mind be taken away from thoughts of your wife. You don't do that by cheating on your spouse you do that by loving them, by respecting them, by honoring them. And so for singles, do you honor friends with the knowledge that in the future they will be someone's future spouse? In your romantic relationships with a girlfriend or boyfriend, are you sleeping with someone else's future wife or husband? Are you avoiding passionate lust that Paul talks about in that verse? It's not something we can just put off until, you know, we're ready to address it, Paul is clear that now is the time to address that in our lives. Now is the time to change. Now is the time to deal with the issue. And so now Paul transitions to another point of instruction. He, he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. So again, Paul is saying, you know what, you guys? You're doing a pretty great job of loving each other. But you know, why don't we do some more and more? And so he's doing this thing. He's like telling them that, you know, you're doing a great job, but there's still a little bit more that you can do. There's still some work that needs to be done. And so he goes on in verse 11 and says, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So these few verses may seem odd when you're reading them, because they kind of come out of nowhere, but still in Paul's mind, if you think about it, it's the peace of the community. It's the strength of the community that the church should be unified, that that's his main point in this. For most of the Thessalonians, they've accepted Paul's teaching have been living it out and doing a great job, but a select few have decided to quit working. That's the issue being addressed here, is that there's a group of people that have just decided to stop working. And so at this time, these non-workers would then begin to take off of the, uh, the, the wealth and the things that the other people of the church had gained. And so you have people who are working for the good of the church, but then you have other people who just are not working, that are not And they expect to be taken care of by the church, by the people who are working. And so you could see how that would deteriorate the unification of the church when you have one people working and one people not working. That's not a good team. Uh, Like, the Miami Heat don't play good when it's just LeBron James. They play good when Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and Chris Bosh all play together really well. Just side note, sports, finals today. So you You can watch it if you want. So anyway, go Spurs. But anyway, for most of this, so, but then you have scholars, so then you have these scholars, they're trying to figure out, well, why aren't these people working? Because that would, like, help us understand what the situation is. And so there's two schools of thought. The one school is this, is that some Christians at this time are so excited that they become, come to know Jesus, and then they come to find out that he's coming back soon. And so what they do is they just sell their possessions and they quit working. Because if Jesus is coming back in two weeks, why should I keep working in my job right now? So that's one school of thought. The other school of thought is that the sociological um, impact of becoming a Christian in this time would tell, especially the Greeks, that, you know, if I'm a Christian now, I, like, working is below me. Like, I don't need to work anymore. And so, if only that were the case, right? Everyone, but no, we have to work. And so Paul's just stating the obvious and saying that you need to keep working. You need to keep giving a good example to people who aren't believers, that you're not just some lazy bum who just doesn't do anything because now I have Jesus. And the reason he does this, and it's the next point, is that people always want to know. People always want to know what Jesus is all about. They want to know what this Christian lifestyle is all about. People will look at you. People may not even say anything, but they're always watching. They're always looking at you, looking at your lifestyle, looking, are you, real, are you the same person at work as you are at home, as you are at church, or do you put on different faces? And so Paul's um, instruction in this is just simply saying that people are watching you. And this is so applicable to open life because our desire is that we would be present in community. And so our desire is that when you're in your job, people would begin to know who Jesus is by the way that you interact with them. But we're also present in community with our strategic partners. You know, we give money to them um, so that we can do awesome things, like helping out Liberty Liberty Reg Elementary with their school supplies this fall. Those are awesome things that we can do, but people are always watching. People are always looking, and people will tell stories without our even knowing. And so we want them to tell good stories about Jesus, not like, well, this church, you know, has been taking money and like spending it on their own things when they uh, told us that they're actually giving it for school supplies. We don't want that. What, every money that we say we're giving to Liberty Ridge Elementary for school supplies, we're giving to Liberty Ridge Elementary for school supplies. So people see, and they interact with you, and they know what's going on. And so you have, Paul is not saying, so don't get me wrong, it's not like Paul's saying that um, no matter what if you've lost your job and you can't find work, that like, well, you better get a job or you're in rebellion to God. No, we all go through things in our lives where we don't have a job. This, the, the market right now is not the greatest. It's getting better. But it's not saying that just because you've lost your job or come into a hardship, then that you're out of the will of God. But he's saying that if you intentionally choose to be lazy, when you could have an honest working hard-working job, he's saying then that's, that's like lethargy. That's laziness, and you don't need to do that. So these type of freeloading, this type of freeloading does not foster strong relationships with the church. And as we've seen, Paul instructs against it, because he's constantly guarding the love that the Thessalonian church had for one another. And then just a side note, for when it says to live a quiet life, that's not necessarily saying like, you know, be quiet or like don't gossip even. It's basically live a quiet life as in I deal with my own stuff and I'm not going to be a hindrance to other people's lives because I'm choosing to be lazy. He's saying live a quiet life that doesn't disrupt other people's lives. And so be a life that lives for peace and not to disrupt or hurt anyone else. So let's move on. Let's jump to the final instructions that um, Paul has. And this is, this is our last point. And so think about these three words as we read these verses. And the verses are look, seek, and know. And so what we're going to think about is look out for others, seek after Jesus, and know that he is faithful. So as we read First Th- Thessalonians five twelve through 24, let's think about those words. Paul says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And so this short short section describes Paul's heart for the relationships that are inside of the church. You see that Paul's telling people to look out for your leaders, to, to love them, to respect them. He's saying, look out for the people who may have become idle. Just give them a kick in the pan sometimes. Look out for the weak, the people who need food, the people who are hungry. Look out for people who are mourning. He's saying, look out for others. Don't just look on the inside, but look out for people around you who might need help, who might need just a little bit of strength from their brother or sister. And so the next thing, seek after Jesus. It says rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And at this time, the church is being persecuted. The church is being like really run down because of their beliefs are so contradictory to the culture at that time. But Paul says seek after God and he'll give you the strength. It says I thought this was interesting. It says, don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to them through and through. Or hold on to what is good. And so, so many times... <clears throat> Sorry. This is the mic. Um, but so many times that we don't really realize that God is ready to do a miracle in our hearts, in our lives, in our friends. But, like, we don't give him the opportunity to do that. So that's where he's saying, pray continually to go for it and just really expect God to do an awesome thing. And finally, know that he is faithful. Know that he is there to do it. Just believe that he's going to do it and he's going to be there to help you through it. And so we, we talked about like sexual immorality. And so if you're doing that, don't feel judged. Don't feel scorned, but just know that God's grace is strong. And if you ask for forgiveness, God is faithful to forgive. Because of Jesus, we have forgiveness. And so there's comfort in knowing that. And so that's why we have groups so we can join together and strengthen each other. So that you can come to a friend and say, "Uh, you know what, I've been struggling with this and I want to get it right. I want to change it. Jesus honors that. Jesus runs to you when you choose to do that. And so that's why we have prayer requests so that you can say, you know what, I'm dealing with this in my life. And so that's why us as the pastors, we pray for those things on a weekly basis because you've written them down or you've told us and we pray for them. But Jesus is just faithful. He's there for you at all, all aspects in your life. And so I'm just going to pray. It's just some teaching that Paul had for his church but like I said, there's similarities for our church and the church that he's talking about, that he's writing to. And so this week, when you're reading through, we'd encourage you just to read First and Second Thessalonians again. But as you're doing that, think about two things. Think about one, like how was Paul actually doing this? He was using stories of Jesus. So always keep your focus on Jesus. But the second thing is, think about similarities between open life and this young church as well. Because that's what the Bible is there for, to think about similarities to our lives, to help us encourage that. So God, we just come before you, God, and we thank you uh, for your word. We just thank you that we have it now, that we can read your stories, God. But Lord, I pray that that would not be a crutch, but that it would just be a strengthening strengthening, and just an injection of power into our lives to live out our own personal stories of how you've changed us, God. And I pray that as we live out those stories of Jesus in our hearts, that more people would come to know you, that more people in our church in 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 open life would be encouraged, but that that love would grow more and more to grow out to people outside of the walls of this high school where we meet. Because the church is not a building, it's not a, a building with walls, but it's people and their stories really going out and shaping culture, God. So I just pray that we would just live that out honestly. God, let us look to your word for correction in our lives, and let it just speak to us, and let us grow in it. So I ask for your power in your mighty name.